You're listening to the Art of Living Well podcast with Father Ian Van Heusen. Welcome back to the Art of Living Well podcast. In this episode, we have a seminarian from the Diocese of Raleigh, Stephen DiMassimo, who talks about the three A's that we can apply to our relationship with the Lord in these trying times. Enjoy. I figured I'd start by letting you get to know me a little bit. My name is Stephen DeMassimo. I'm a seminarian for the Diocese of Raleigh, North Carolina, and I'm going to be staying here in Greenville for this Holy Week and uh, helping out a little bit. And uh, my family lives back in Raleigh. I have two brothers, an older brother and a younger brother, and uh, my, so three boys. And my mom has this sign in our kitchen that says, there's a special place in heaven for the mother of three boys. So if you're a mother of three boys, you know exactly what that's like. Um, but, you know, I'd like to just share with you my relationship with the Lord and, and kind of where that's brought me. And I would say that growing up Catholic, uh, before I was 14 years old, I didn't really have a reason, uh, that was a very strong reason to like stay Catholic. You know, we went to Mass on the weekends, but it really didn't mean much for me. And what changed that is I got to go on a confirmation retreat when I was 14 years old in uh, March of 2004. And um, for me, it was one of those things where I had to go. I didn't really want to. I showed up, and we had a really dynamic youth minister who really presented the gospel message to me for the first time in a way that I could really understand. And it, it really reached me. Up until that point, I was really starting to struggle with some habitual sins that were really pulling me away from God. I was kind of living a double life of uh, being a certain person in front of my parents and teachers and then a different person on my own and in front of my friends. And I could tell that that was kind of eating away at me. But when I went on this retreat, it was like somebody introduced me to the person of Jesus for the first time. And I just remember, especially in light of this week we're in right now, Holy Week, the youth minister was talking about our, our Lord's passion and what he went through for me. And I just remember being really cut to the heart that if this God who I've always believed in came in the person of Jesus and died for me, wouldn't I want to know him? And so he invited us to pray. And I think for me, it was kind of like praying from my heart for the first time. And uh, nothing extraordinary happened. It was just a small prayer of, Lord, I, I know you're seeking me and I want to know what it's like to be in a relationship with you. And... Um, so a couple months went by, and I started fighting off the idea of going to confession because I had a lot of things to confess, and I was kind of scared. And one day I went up to my dad, and I said, uh, Dad, uh, yes, son, uh, can you drive me up to church? He's like, it's Saturday afternoon. What do you want to go to church for? I said, I want to go to confession. I was like, what would you do? <laughs> so like, I, uh, he was very gracious, drove me up to church, and I was a nervous wreck in line for confession. But there was a wonderful priest there. And I didn't even know how to pray like the act of contrition. It had been eight years since my last confession. And he just guided me through this really wonderful, deep, uh, little long confession. And I remember the moment when the priest, uh, that Christ forgave me through the hands of the priest. And I remember just, I felt this weight lift off of me. Like my sins had been like weighing me down. And I felt this weight lift off of me. And uh, that was the beginning of many good confessions since then. But I will never forget how real God's love and mercy was in that moment and the peace that I experienced. Um, so I want to tell another story. 
fast forward a little bit. Uh, this is from 2010. That was the year of the priest. And I got to study abroad in Austria for a semester. And I went on a pilgrimage to Czestochowa, Poland. And there's a shrine there to Our Lady of Czestochowa. Um, and then eventually we made our way to Krakow, where World Youth Day was a few years ago. And there is this shrine there for divine mercy. So maybe you've seen in, in your parishes, or maybe you have an image of divine mercy, Jesus, right? It's the, the revelation to St. Faustina given by our Lord of his heart, just these rays bursting out from his heart. And oftentimes underneath the image, it'll say, Jesus, I trust in you. So there's this sister there at this shrine giving a talk named Sister Gaudia. And I don't remember much about the talk, but I remember one line that just rocked my world. And at that time in my life, it was the beginnings of me hearing the call to the priesthood, but fighting it. And she said something like this. She said, look at the image of the divine mercy, Jesus, and see the words, Jesus, I trust in you. And if you really pray those words and you mean it, then be willing to do whatever he asks. And I was like, whoa. I mean, I, I, I took a step back and I, I thought to myself, I've said that so many times, but I don't always mean it. I don't always mean it. And it really cut me to the heart. And, and I said to the Lord in my own heart, I was like, Lord, I want to get to the point where I can trust in you in that way. But I know I'm not there yet, but I want to. And that was kind of the beginning of this four-year wrestling match with God. And uh, little by little, as I surrendered, the Lord started to show me what the deeper desires in my heart are, what the deeper calling in my life was that I was resisting at that time. Not rebelling, but resisting. And eventually, he brought me to a place of just this really profound peace. And uh, it's been five out of six years in seminary now, and, and I'm coming up on my ordination to the diaconate later this May. So it's, it's really exciting, really interesting times we're in too. Um, but I figure we could kind of start off uh, just with that story. And, and really the theme that I want to focus on today is just the, the school of trust is what I'm going to call it. Just the school of trust that discipleship is. When we follow our Lord, it's learning from him what it means to trust the Father. So I'm going to focus on that. And the question that maybe might be going in the back of your heads throughout this talk is, how much do I, I trust in Jesus? How much do I trust in the Father? How much do I trust in the power of the Holy Spirit? And also, the overview of today, what we're going to talk about, are kind of three A's. So first, it's just awareness, and then acceptance, and then abandonment. And particularly in this time that we're in, how do we allow God to transform some of the anxiety we might be experiencing with the current situation we're in into abandonment and trust? So let's pray together, and then we'll go ahead and start off. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of this day. We thank you for this holy week that we are in, where we contemplate the sending of your Son to come and to die for us and to rise for us, to renew us in hope. And we pray that you would send down your Holy Spirit upon us right now, wherever you are, Wherever we are, uh, whether it be in our homes, at work, uh, hopefully you're not watching this at work, <laughs> but anywhere we are, Lord, and we just ask that your Holy Spirit would open up our hearts to whatever it is that you desire to speak. And we ask all of this through Christ our Lord. Amen. 
of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I want to talk a little bit about this present situation that we're in right now. A lot of people have been really thrown off by this whole pandemic with the coronavirus. Uh, a lot of people are not able to go into work. A lot of people have to work from home. A lot of people's semesters, including my own, have kind of been changed a little bit to classes online. Uh, some of the college students that might be listening and know exactly what that, that's like, and you're going through that right now. Uh, there might be some of the high schoolers that are listening where you're home now in this kind of awkward place where you can't go back to school yet, and your, your structure of life has been a little thrown off. Uh, maybe you find yourself sleeping in a little too much or something like that. Um, parents have their kids home all of a sudden when they're used to having them at school most of the day. And w this whole thing has just been this, this radical interruption, it seems, to life as it usually is. And it's the reality we find ourselves in right now. And for a lot of people, this has been very anxiety-inducing. Uh, it's, you know, all, all of a sudden going from kind of the speed of life to like this weird change of rhythm, and it's, it's thrown many of us off. And I think we can all connect with that maybe in some way. Maybe you're not experiencing extreme anxiety, but certainly you might be a little restless right now. You might be a little worried of, of where things are going. You might be experiencing some fear. And um, maybe even for you, it's been this experience of having this free time, but not knowing what to do with it all of a sudden. Or maybe filling that free time because you don't know what to do in the void of, of that structure that we're all used to. And I just want to point out that in some way, this can, this can cause some degree of anxiety, whatever shape or form that that might take for you. Just a, a stress that we haven't encountered in a while, perhaps, or maybe an increase of stress. And I want to speak into that by first talking about just awareness, right? It's interesting how when there's a change of rhythm in our life, all of a sudden we're confronted with kind of where we've come from, where we've been going, and we can kind of regain a perspective on life when these interruptions happen. But in the absence of that structure, we could try to fill that void with activity, right? And we can kind of block out maybe the stresses we're feeling, the fears that we're feeling. And I think this is a great opportunity just to become more aware. Like, what is God doing in my life? What are my emotions right now as I'm processing all this change? What are some of my reactions to this? How have I been responding? And I would say that, you know, anxiety or, or fear, it's a normal human emotion, it's, uh, it's morally neutral. It's, it's not something that is automatically bad. It's, it's a normal human experience, especially to change when stress comes with change. It's really what we do in response to that that determines what we choose with our will that determines the morality of, of how we go about in response to that. And oftentimes, anxiety can come about from fear of a particular consequence. So, for example, uh, we can find ourselves like pre-living the future, right? what's going to happen, all these feared outcomes, pre-living the future. Sometimes we can find ourselves wishing it'll go back to the way it was, and so we're like reliving the past. How do we get out of this to get back to then, right? But the thing with both of those is that we're not living in the present, right? Can't live in the past, can't live five minutes from now. I only have here and now. It's interesting, in the book, The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis, he talks about you know, the temptation of the enemy to get us out of the present moment. 
Because really, it's only in the present moment that we can experience life. The present moment is, is the only experience in our life, the only time that the now of our life is the time in which God works. The now of our life is the day-to-day, moment-to-moment decisions that impact where we'll spend our eternity. So it's very, very important during this time for us to be aware of where's my mind at? Is, it, is my heart and my mind where my feet are, or is it somewhere else, right? And that's something we have to be aware of. Because when we start with just that basic awareness, we can get a sense of how am I reacting to this, and how does God want to speak into that? Maybe, uh, maybe you've WebMD'd yourself before. That could be a scary experience, right, where we project into the future uh, all kinds of things that really aren't reality, Right? You know, I think we've all done that at some point. And we end up with some rare disease we've never heard of, when in reality, that's not really what's happening in our life. You know, it's interesting, 500 years ago, St. Francis de Sales talked about anxiety, and he put it this way. He said, anxiety arises from an unregulated desire to be delivered from any pressing evil or to obtain some hoped-for good. So this, this kind of disordered desire, he says, to be delivered from any like present burden, right? And to obtain some hope for good. There's kind of a, a tension between where we are and where we want to be. And when we don't lean into that tension and we desire too much to get out of it, to escape from it, to fix things, to kind of reject the present situation as it is, it can pull us away from where God wants to work in the here and now of our life. So the question becomes, how can we reorder that, right? How can we reorder that? Not so that we're pre-living the future, not so that we're living in the past, but we're, but we're here and now. There was a priest named Father Walter Chiswick, and he wrote a book called He Leadeth Me, and it's about his experience of being convicted of being a, a spy a a spy on behalf of the Catholic Church, spying on the communist authorities back at the beginning of the 20th century. And he was placed in solitary confinement for about five years. And it was a really, really tough trial for him. He found himself that he got to a place in his own faith life that as a priest, not able to celebrate the mass, he tried to make the best of what he could in prayer but he found himself really plagued by some very strong emotions of, of worry, like what's going to happen? And they would play psychological games with him. There was one point where he had a real, like a real meltdown, a real breakdown. And in writing about it, I think he captured something that a lot of us, if we're really honest with ourselves, have probably experienced at some point or another in our life. And it was this moment where he came to the realization that, Deep down, it was this question of, do I really, really, in my heart of hearts, trust that God is in control? And he said it it got even deeper than that. The question was really, I mean, we all want to trust, right? Try to trust. It's hard at times. But it's even deeper than that because it really goes to the heart of, do I really believe that God is good and that he really exists? that his providence governs all things. That's a really brutally honest question that he asked. 
And for him, it was the turning point of his entire life. He experienced a conversion from it. The core fear that can be deep within us sometimes is, do I really trust in my heart of hearts that God is in control? Do I really trust that I can find my security in him? And only you can answer that question. But we can ask ourselves, if the answer is not yes to that, then what have I been looking for? What have I been looking to for my security? So awareness is first, right? And then we can move into this theme also of acceptance. I think that there's a tension that we all experience, and it's a tension between our ideal and the real of our lives. And there's a gap there. And that gap causes like tension within us. It can cause stress within us. And the question is, how do we close that gap between like where we want things to be and where things really are, right? And I think that's the space in which God wants to work, especially when it comes to this theme of trust today, the school of trust. So how do we close that gap? You know, I think oftentimes we try to find like shortcuts from the cross, shortcuts from suffering, we can be tempted not to face our situation or accept it, but try to find a way around it, right? We see this present situation as an obstacle to God working, as an obstacle to our life. And that's a very human way of, of reacting to this whole thing. But when the cross comes and when suffering comes in our life, we're really faced with an opportunity of whether or not we'll accept that. Have you ever... Uh, like a Chinese finger trap, right? The harder you try to pull out of it, the more it, it closes on your fingers and you can't escape from it, right? But if you kind of relax a little bit and slow it down and you could pull your fingers out. Or the, the harder you try to fight out of quicksand, like the faster you sink, right? And we could try to fight our way out of the crosses that are in our lives. We could try to fight our way out of the sufferings that are in our lives. But that's ultimately, it makes it worse. It makes our sufferings worse. It makes the burden heavier. Maybe you've seen the movie The Passion of Christ uh, with Mel Gibson. Uh, there's this, a really strong scene in there where Jesus has been entrusted with the cross, right? We, we pray that in the stations of the cross, Jesus embracing his cross. And he's given the cross, and he's, he's like down on one knee, and he's, he's literally embracing the cross, really close to it, hugging it almost. And he uses the cross to get up after falling. And I think that's a great opportunity of what it looks like to suffer well when we trust the Lord. It's not to reject the suffering. It's also, it's, it's the freedom to pray that God will deliver us from it, but in a rightly ordered way, in a calm way, in a peaceful way, not in an anxious way, not in a worried way, but also to accept whatever God allows to happen. God who's in control and who can bring good out of anything. And so even our Lord embraced the cross and used it to get back up and to walk up to Calvary. I think there's a lesson in that for us. If we accept the cross, it becomes more bearable. It, becomes, it can even become lighter because our Lord is, is carrying it with us. We're not alone in that. And so maybe... An invitation is that you can accept this present situation we're in, whatever that looks like in your life, as an opportunity that God is preordained for your holiness right now, preordained for your sanctification. 
I think these are kind of the hinge moments we find ourselves in when it comes to our own conversion. I think it was about two years ago, I did something really stupid. And uh, it was right after Thanksgiving, and you know how you overeat on Thanksgiving. And then by Monday after Thanksgiving, you're like, okay, time to work off some of that Thanksgiving meal. And we, had, we didn't have school that day. I was home with my family, and we went to the gym. And I don't work out. Like, I run and stuff, but I don't work out on a regular basis. So I'm like, I'm going to hit the gym hard today. And so, you know, I was doing the stair machine and the treadmill, and all that was fine. And then I started doing pull-ups, and that was really bad because I could do about, like, four or five, and then, like, I need a little help, you know, so there's a machine where you can, like, put the weight under you, and it pulls you up. So I was like, oh, this is great. I can do eight. I can do 10. I can do 20. I can do 40, you know? And when you go from, like, no pull-ups to, like, like 60 pull-ups, your body's not ready for that. So uh, I developed this condition called rhabdomyolysis. And basically what happens is the, the cells that are in your muscles are so overworked that they break down and they release like a toxin into your blood. Uh, it's basically your body's way of saying like, hey, stupid, you like overworked yourself. Uh, and now you're going to pay the consequences of it. And the problem with that is that it can accumulate in your kidneys and your liver and cause some damage. So I had to go to the hospital for 48 hours and be hooked up to an IV and like pee my brains out for two, two days straight just to flush my system. And I was in a hospital bed and it was completely painless. Like I, my arms were really swollen. I mean, they were like Popeye, like they were huge and it was kind of weird. Uh, but all they had to do was hook up an IV and just flush my system. And that was it. And I just had to sit in a hospital bed, had some friends come visit, but I had some time to think. And I had realized that on that hospital bed, I, I came to a realization that, that I hadn't come to before. And I think if you look at the lives of the saints, a lot of conversions happen on a hospital bed. A lot of conversions can happen in a, a hinge moment where uh, there's an interruption to life and things are not the way they usually are, and it puts everything back in perspective. And for me, it was the first time I wasn't able to do anything. I think is for as long as I could remember. I'd never been incapacitated like that before. And it scared, it scared me a lot. Uh, but it was a beautiful moment where I realized my worth is not in what I do. My worth is in whose I am, a beloved son of the Father. I don't have to earn my value by how well I perform, by whether or not I can work by whether or not I can serve, I'm loved as I am. It was really a beautiful and profound moment that led to like an entire year just of the unfolding of that grace. And it happened by being stuck in a hospital bed with rhabdomyolysis. You look at, uh, we've got a couple uh, of the remains of some of the saints behind me with the relics that you might be able to see. And a couple of them are saints that found themselves at one point in their life on a hospital bed of, of some sort. And uh, Therese of Lisieux, St. Therese of Lisieux, some of her most beautiful writings came when she was struggling with tuberculosis and really dying of tuberculosis uh, on her deathbed. And some of the most beautiful accounts of her life come from those, those final moments. St. Ignatius of Loyola found a 180 moment in his life when his ears were opened a little, his eyes were opened to the voice of God calling him to follow him with an undivided heart. 
So these are these hinge moments in our life. And acceptance is what closes the gap between the ideal and the real. Acceptance is what closes that gap where God wants to work. And that's in the reality that we're in right now. So awareness, we have to be aware of what's going on. Acceptance, if we try to reject things, we're really rejecting God's opportunity to work in our life. So accepting that actually lightens the burden and gives God permission to work where we are. And that leads us to how do we move out of fear into trust, out of anxiety, and that is into abandonment. The reality is that anxiety and fear can be transformed. That's, that's the power of our God. He can transform it into abandonment. So I'll read you a quote from Archbishop Fulton Sheen. He wrote a book called Peace of Soul. And I think he really nails it. And he says, Many favors and blessings are hanging from heaven to relieve our temporal anxieties if we would only cut them down with the sword of our trust in God. Relief from all anxiety comes not from giving ourselves to God by halves, but by an all-encompassing love, wherein we go back not to the past in fear or to the future in anxiety, but lie quietly in his hand, having no will but his. Not the future, not the past, but right here, right now with God. And we have to lean into that. Abandonment is not a giving up. It's not a, a, a passive uh, reaction. Abandonment is something that's active and it's receptive. It's active trust. And it's uh, the person who can abandon themselves to God can say, Lord, whatever you want, whenever you want, and however you want. That's not an easy prayer to make. But oftentimes it involves surrender. So I heard a story about this guy who was boating. And he, you know, was cruising along some river in Pennsylvania. And at some point, I don't know if he hit a rock or something, but his boat started to do one of those 360s, which I imagine was terrifying. And in the midst of it, he was highly coordinated. So while the boat is flipping and he's flying out of the boat, he managed to grab his backpack that was next to him. And his backpack had his keys, had his wallet, had his GoPro, like all the valuable things were in his backpack. And so now the boat is completely turned over. He's falling into the water and now he's rushing down this river and he's got this heavy backpack and he's kind of trying to stay above the surface, like gasping for air. And the current is strong and it's pulling him along. And what's making it worse is that backpack, right? Where all those things that are the valuables in his life are, are pulling him along. And he came to the point where he was actually afraid he was going to drown because he, he had a death grip on that backpack. But there came a point where it's almost like time slowed down for him. And he was like, can I, can I let go of this, right? And it was you know, that small, small, you know, millisecond of a decision that, that can make an enormous difference for the entire life. And he finally, after being dragged down, almost, you know, gasping for his last breath before going down, he let go of it into the depths of that river and swam to the shore and he survived. And I think he was having a pretty bad day at that point. So 
he went to a restaurant and there's a guy sitting over next to him and he's like, man, you, you kind of don't look so great. Are you all right? And he was, he was like, yeah, here's what happened. And he's like, oh, well, tell you what, I, I actually, uh, I'm a trained scuba diver and uh, we can go find your backpack, right? We can go find your backpack. So sure enough, he got in his car, guy like pops on his scuba gear, goes, goes into the river, gets his backpack, gets back his phone, get back his wallet, gets back, you know, all the things that he, he had to let go of in that one moment that his whole life seemed to rest upon. I think that's a great lesson for us too. Surrender and abandonment does involve not a giving up, but a letting go sometimes of the things that we think bring us security in life. So that brings us to the next thing. And how do we make this practical, right? And this is kind of getting on the home stretch. So we grow in faith by practicing faith. Faith has to become practical, right? And what that looks like is making acts of faith, right? It will change the way that we react to certain situations when we react in faith versus when we react in fear. Reacting in faith says, Jesus, I trust in you, no matter what. Reacting in faith often involves a surrender that says, Jesus, I surrender everything to you, and I trust you're going to take care of everything, right? And then we can respond not out of fear at that point. And it doesn't mean not doing the things we need to do, but it means doing them peacefully, not in a rush, not in a worry, not in fear. But it can feel scary to do that. I remember skiing one time, and I like to go fast. So my buddies and I were going down this slope in Pennsylvania. Seminary is like maybe two hours from this. And we got to a crossroads where two slopes collided, and I was waiting there for the guys. And I hear this screaming up above me, and I look up the mountain, and there's this eight-year-old just flying. But like, not like some of those eight-year-olds that can cruise and look like they're in control. He was doing the snowplow stop the entire time down, screaming. And 10 feet behind him was his dad, calmly, just letting his son try to slow down on his own. He was right behind him, right? Got to the end, the kid's just crying. He's like, scared as can be. And his dad's like holding his shoulders, like, you're going to be okay. And I went over to the kid and I was like, that was so brave. That was so courageous. You just went down that ginormous mountain. Like, and he kind of had a smile on his face while his tears were going down his cheeks. And I was like, that, that's so much what God is like with us sometimes. He allows us to walk almost like a baby taking its first few steps because he, he, there comes a point where our faith has to be tested and he has to teach us in the school of trust how to walk with him. And oftentimes it comes when we don't feel his presence directly or we're confused by what's going on around us. And we're, we're put in a situation where we're given an opportunity to practice faith, to make it practical. I don't think there's a better model of this than our Lord Jesus. I've waited to get to him until now, because this is the best part. This is where we really learn. This is what this Holy Week is all about, that we're about to enter into. And it's the school of trust that Jesus wants to teach us in. He is the model. His whole life is an abandonment, a holy abandonment to the Father's will. And he models for us what that looks like. You look at him when he's 12 years old in the temple. His parents are an anxious mess looking for him among their relatives. They couldn't find him. Well, he stayed back in the temple. And when they found him, they said, Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Jesus, all about the will of the father. 
When he teaches us to pray, he teaches us to pray, Our Father, always to the Father, addressing the Father whom he trusts. During this Holy Week especially, we're going to enter into the agony in the garden at Gethsemane, where Jesus prays with complete resignation to the Father. Father, let this cup of suffering pass from me, but not what I will, but what you will. That's a perfect prayer for us to make during these times. And from the cross, Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. All about the Father. Complete resignation to the Father. Complete abandonment to God. He models for us what trust is. When every fear in life is crowding in upon him, he's so secure in the Father's love. And I think that's what he wants us to be too, as his beloved sons and beloved daughters. So God's going to give us opportunities to practice that. Just like he gave that blind man that was healed two weeks ago we read about in the gospel, where it involved a journey, hey, go and wash. Well, he wasn't healed immediately. He had to trust in the Lord's word. And when he went and he washed, he was healed. Lazarus had died. Our Lord waited. And in that waiting, there's a time of trust where Martha and Mary got to trust in the Lord and see him do something so marvelous, so miraculous, that was way beyond what they could imagine. How about the hemorrhaging woman, right? She is almost an interruption to the scene where Jairus is trying to cry out to the Lord to save his daughter from death. And then they receive the news that she's died. And Jairus has this opportunity to make an act of faith. Do I still trust that the Lord can do this? I think he does that with us a lot. He gives us these opportunities to, to reward our act of faith with making another act of faith that's even greater. In that gap where we have to accept the present and lean into it with trust and with abandonment. So let your Holy Week be an entrance into the school of trust. Let the Lord teach you during this time in discipleship. We have to be aware of what's going on. Our Lord gives us so many opportunities to accept the cross like he did. And that acceptance can lead to abandonment out of fear, out of anxiety, out of worry, and into trust. That no matter what we experience, our Father is a loving Father who's in control and has our good in mind. So I'd invite you just in this last minute just to join me in prayer as we pray a prayer of abandonment to our Lord. And you can think of whatever that is in your life, where that gap is in your life, where the tension is in your life, the worry, the fear, the anxiety. And I just invite you to pray with me just to lift that up to the Father. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, I abandon myself into your hands. Do with me what you will. Whatever you do, I thank you. I'm ready for all. I accept all. Let only your will be done in me and in all your creature. I wish no more than this, O Lord. Into your hands I commend my spirit, and I offer it to you with all of the love of my heart. For I love you, Lord, and so need to give, to surrender myself into your hands without reserve and with boundless confidence, because you are my Father. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.